So we're in the book of 1 John. That's towards the end of your Bible if you want to look for it right before the book of Revelation. And uh, there's books of uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And we're going to be introducing the book this morning. So like I said, uh, over my break, we took a, a road trip to Orlando. And uh, the reason why we went down there is I'm going to school. So I'm getting a doctor of ministry. And I, I, my school is down in Orlando, so I take classes down there. I was super excited for the class. But what I was more excited about was going to Cocoa Beach, Florida. And uh, some of you have been there, but the reason why I wanted to go so badly is because uh, the best surfer in the world, Kelly Slater, uh, was born and raised in Cocoa Beach. And so uh, Kelly Slater, uh, just this, uh, he's world famous, uh, just an amazing athlete, uh, was, was born in Cocoa Beach. So for me, this was kind of a pilgrimage. I grew up surfing, and so uh, this guy is just, man, he's one of my favorites. And uh, my, my uh, dream uh, during this trip was to teach my kids how to surf on the waves that Kelly Slater learned on. And so it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And uh, over the years, I've become sort of a, a scholar of Kelly Slater. So, uh, you know, I, I could tell you a, a million random facts about him. I know his, uh, his weight, his height, kind of creepy. Um, I know how long he's been on the world tour. I know how many titles he's won, how many contests he's won. Um, I could tell you almost anything that you would ever want to know about Kelly Slater. But here's the thing. If you would ask me, Brent, do you know Kelly Slater? I would have to say no. I'm just a groupie, right? I, I know a lot about him, probably more than you, but have I, I've never met the man. I, I don't know him. I don't know him personally. And there's a, there's a big difference between actually knowing about a person and actually knowing them, right? And I think it's pretty common, even with Kelly Slater, you know, if you go to Cocoa Beach, you know, probably all, almost everybody there knows who he is, but I would say probably nobody knows him personally. In fact, when we went to the surf shop to uh, rent the board for my kids to learn on, one of my boys whispered in my ear, Brent, ask the, or daddy, ask the, they call me daddy, not Brent, ask the, ask the man behind the counter if he knows Kelly Slater, and I didn't ask him that question, because chances are he didn't, and I would have been embarrassed to ask him. And the reason why I bring all this up, because I want to begin the series today with a question, and here it is, do you know God? Do you know God? And when I ask you the question, I'm not asking, do you know about God? Right? I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not asking you, do you know the Apostles' Creed? I'm not asking you if you know a, a million random facts about God. I'm asking you the question, do you actually know God personally? Because it's very, very possible, just like with Kelly Slater, to, to, to know about God, to know information about God, but actually never to have come to know him personally. In the, the New Testament book of John, uh, there's one point where Jesus, uh, he goes to the Pharisees, which are uh, men that knew, knew a lot about God. They were Bible scholars. They were uh, religious experts. And, and Jesus looks at these men and he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And so here Jesus looks at the, the most religious people on the face of the planet, the Pharisees, these people that knew all kinds of not, uh, things about God, and he looks at them and he says, you don't know me. You don't know God at all, and it's very possible to know a lot about God and yet never have come to know him. 
In fact, I think in the South, this is a particular hazard. Uh, People always ask me what is distinctive about doing ministry in the South. And I think what's fascinating about a place like Batesville is almost everybody here knows about Christianity. Almost everybody here knows something about, you know, Jesus and God, the Bible. You could go to uh, Dairy Queen and hear Christian music over the speakers. Did you know that? But you can know a lot about Christianity and not know him personally. Not really know God. And this is a tragedy because the most important question in life is, is this question, do you know God? Uh, according to, the, to scripture, one of the most important quests, one of the most important priorities in a person's life is the quest to know God. In fact, Jesus in uh, John 17, he says, this is eternal life, that you know God, the Father, and the Son whom he has sent. Jesus says this, it's not that you know God and then you get eternal life. He says, this is life. This is eternal life, to know God. And so knowing God is crucial. And so in the series, we're going to be asking the question, do you know God? Do you really know God? Have you met the God that is found in Jesus Christ, or do you just know about him, a lot about him? And that's what John is going to be talking about. And and I think John is one of the best guys to talk about this because John is a man who really knew God. Uh, John, uh, who wrote this letter, he was an apostle. So he was a follower of Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John. He also had an incredibly close relationship with Jesus. And so in his his biography, uh, John constantly refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, there's no indication that Jesus ever called him this. This was a name that he gave himself, which, which is a little presumptuous, maybe. But this is the way he saw himself. He just had a deep, close relationship with Jesus. In fact, when Jesus was hanging from the cross, remember, he looked down at John, and he says, I want you to take care of my mother. Right? He was so close to uh, Jesus that it was John who was given the task to care for Jesus' own family. And so John knew Jesus. And by the time he writes this letter, 1 John, he was a very old man. And so uh, most of the apostles, they were uh, martyred, they died early. But John, John lived into old age. And so you got to get the image in your mind. John is this old man writing this letter. He's walked with Jesus for years and years and years. And he knows Jesus personally. In fact, uh, Eusebius, one historian, says that John, in his old age, when he pastored the churches that he pastored, he couldn't walk anymore, and so they would carry him in on a, on a cot, and there he would preach his sermon sitting down, and his main message was love. Uh, Paul, if you read Paul's letters, Paul was kind of this, he was a, almost like a lawyer, a litigator. He'd make arguments, he was very rational, but John was almost mystical. John, as we read this letter, he almost talks in circles. And his main message is, do you know God? He's answering this crucial question for us. And here today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And uh, John, uh, in his first few verses here, like any good essay, he kind of sets the stage for us. He sets the direction. And the first four verses are all about his theme, knowing God. John says, I know God. I want you to know God too. You might be asking the question, well, what does it involve? What does knowing God involve? You know, if this is so crucial, what does it mean to know God? What does it involve to know God? What is involved in knowing God? And John, in the first three verses, gives us three things, I believe, that knowing God involves. What does it mean to know God? John gives us three things here in the introduction. 
He's going to say knowing God involves experience, number one. Number two, knowing God involves something called fellowship. And three, knowing God involves something called satisfaction. Experience, fellowship, satisfaction. John says this is what's involved in knowing God. So let's go through uh, the three things that John gives us. Chapter 1, verse 1, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hand, we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to, to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, or seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The first thing that that is involved in knowing God, according to John here in the very beginning, is experience. I want you to notice there the visceral language and the sensory language that that John uses here. He says, yeah, I knew Jesus. And not only did I know him, I touched him with my hands. And I saw him with my own two eyes. And I beheld him, I I gazed upon him, I I heard him with my ears. I ate with him, I walked with him, I spoke with him. I knew Jesus Christ by experience. Now what John is doing here is he's giving us a defense of his apostleship. You know, every apostle uh, is uh, supposed to have uh, actually met the risen Jesus. And John is saying, I met him, I touched him, I know him. But he's doing far more than that because he says, I'm also proclaiming to you what I have experienced. In other words, what John is saying is he's saying, this experience that I had with Jesus, you could have also. He's saying, when I preach to you the gospel, I'm not just giving you knowledge or information, not not anything less than that. It's far more, I'm giving to you an experience. He says, I want you to come to know the same sensory, visceral relationship that I had with him. So in other words, what John is doing here is he's he's sharing his experience with us and almost inviting us in to have that same sort of relationship. Now, think of it like this. If you were eating a meal, and let's say it was a really good meal, and you go to your friend and you say, maybe you call him up and you say, man, you wouldn't believe the meal that I'm having right now. It is so good, the steak, it's so tender, it's so rare, you wouldn't believe it. And the shrimp salad, it's so fresh. This shrimp, it tastes like it's just come out of the gulf, it's so amazing. And the peach cobbler, man, you, I haven't had anything like it, it's so amazing. Man, you, you, this is so incredible, I just wanted to tell you about it. Now you would never call somebody and tell them about that if they couldn't experience that themselves. Right, that'd be kind of cruel, right? Here's a great meal I'm having. Wish you could have it too. No, what would you do? You'd invite them over. You'd say, come eat with me. You've got to have this. And John is doing sort of the same thing. He's saying that I want to invite you into the experience that I've had with Jesus. This is the gospel. The same Jesus that that the apostles knew so viscerally we could know as well. Now, somebody's saying, wait a minute here, but we can't have that same experience. John actually knew Jesus. You know, Jesus was around John. Jesus isn't here for me to touch. 
you know, I can't really experience what John experienced. And I think you're right. But there is a sense in which we can know Jesus the same way John did. Because Jesus Christ is not a dead historical figure. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. He is alive and well, and he's with us by his Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, Jesus Christ is closer to you than your own skin. And John says you can experience him. You can know him, just like I have come to know him. And so John says, first, what does it mean to know God? Well, first of all, it means that you experience him in some sense. It's not that you just know the doctrine or know the teaching or know the morality of Christianity. It's that you experience Jesus in a very personal way. We all know that there's, there's two types of knowledge, right? There's head knowledge, uh, and then there's experiential knowledge. There is objective knowledge, and then there's subjective knowledge. And what John is saying here is that if you're a Christian, someone who really knows God, God is no longer just a concept for you. You're coming to know him by experience. And truth is not just something out there. It is something that's come in here. You know, we all know that it's possible to know objectively this is what grace is. I've studied the doctrine of grace and to know it in your head, but it's something quite different, isn't it, to know God's grace yourself, to be forgiven, and to know that. It's one thing to know the doctrine of God's love. Yes, I know that God is love, and I could point you to all the scriptures. It's quite another thing to really know that God is loving by experience. It's one thing to, to know that God is holy and that God is powerful, but it's a whole other thing to know God's power experientially. And what John is saying is he's saying, listen, this is the way I want you to know God, experientially, viscerally, so that God is no longer a concept, but he's actually known by experience. I told you I was doing a class down in Orlando, Florida, and it was called Christian Spirituality. And we studied not so much the doctrine and theology of church history uh, throughout the ages, but the experience that people had with God throughout the ages. And what we found was that throughout church history, there's been men and women that have known God experientially, and they've written down their experiences. And so one, one of them I wanted to share with you is by a guy named John Wesley. He, uh, he was a, a preacher and a musician, and he was a guy that he, he sang and he preached before he actually knew God personally. And one day he was walking down the road and he saw there was a Bible study going on. They were studying a Martin Luther's commentary on uh, Galatians, of all things. And he goes into the, this Bible study and he says, as I sat there, God went from being a concept to an experience. And this is what he said. He said, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through, the, through faith in Christ, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He's, the sensory language there. I felt I did trust Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins. Even mine saved me from the law of sin and death. Do you know anything of this experience? Right? Or is God still in your head? Is he still a concept? Do you know, do you, do you know God experientially and sensory? So that grace is something that's part of your life. 
Now, I'm not saying that you need to have some crazy emotional experience. Some of you are very emotional. You know, you're maybe fours on the Enneagram, and you know, you're raising your hands during worship. And there are others of you where I, I wonder if there's even an emotional bone in your body. You know, you're standing there during worship, and everything, you know, you're straight, you know, and there's no emotion there. But even engineers can experience God. Right? Knowing God involves experience. It involves your senses. And John is saying, I experienced Jesus. And get this, you can experience him too. Do you know him that way? Have you felt him? Or is God still up in your head somewhere? Number two, John is going to say that, that knowing God involves not only experience, but also something called fellowship. So in verse three, uh, John says that this. Uh, that's what, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing that knowing God involves is fellowship. And what John is saying is that we have fellowship with the triune God, with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with God. Now, what does this word fellowship mean? It's an important word. Our church is named fellowship, after all. What does it mean? Well, in, in the New Testament, uh, fellowship, uh, it, it, it comes from the Greek word koinonia. Can we all say koinonia? Koinonia. And it, it literally means to share in or to have something in common with somebody. And so if somebody was your friend, you would have fellowship with them. You would share with them. You have things in common. You're gathered around some common passion or common idea or common, uh, uh, you know, relationship or affiliation. You'd have fellowship with them. I was reading uh, the, the Fellowship of the Rings with my boys. Some of you have maybe read that book. And the book is all about a fellowship. You've got, uh, you know, a, a few hobbits and some elves and a few human people that are all, and a wizard, and they're all bound together, gathered together, uh, stuck together because of a common quest to get, get rid of the Ring of Power, right? The Fellowship of the Ring, they have this thing in common. It's brought them together. John is saying that we could have fellowship with God. It's that you can, you can come to God and have a relationship with him where you share in common with him, where you're bound together with him, where you're united with him, and you share something of God's life and his passion and his joy. You can have something so rich and powerful with God. It's called fellowship. And essentially what John is saying is that you could be friends with God. I know that sounds kind of funny. You know, God is this transcendent being, you know, and he's, he is holy and he is um, other and he's great and he's mighty. But what the gospel says is that you can know this God as a friend. Take Jesus' word for it. This is John 15, 15. Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends because everything I have learned from my Father, I have made, made known to you. Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to know me as a, as a slave knows his master. He says, I want to share my life with you. I want to make known, known my desires to you. I want to share my mission with you. And knowing God involves fellowship. It involves sharing with God. You know, sharing in God's purpose for the world. You know, we're joining with God to bring redemption. It involves sharing God's, 
you know, his, his life, you know, and his joy and his vitality. It involves sharing a communion with God and relationship with God. You know, in my class, there were, uh, the old Puritans had a way of talking about their relationship with God. And I almost didn't share it because this is a little embarrassing. And plus, I asked my wife if I should share it. And she said, don't do that. That's super awkward. But um, I'm going to share it anyway. <laughs> um, so the Puritans, they knew God in such a deep personal way that they said they had intercourse with God. And my teacher, he told us this. He said, you know, this is the way the Puritans talked about God. He says, it sounds weird, but before intercourse was a sexual word, it was a spiritual word. And in fact, if you go to Pennsylvania where the Puritans had some colonies, there's actually an intercourse Pennsylvania. And so now you know where that that comes from. And I remember in my class when the teacher said this, it was so awkward. And, uh, you know, my inner, you know, junior high boy came out and I just started giggling, and then I looked at a guy across the table, and he started giggling, and we just couldn't stop. It was super embarrassing, and you'd be embarrassed for me. But knowing God involves friendship. It involves connection. It, in, it involves intercourse, conversation, sharing life with him. Do you know anything of this? Right, involves your experience to where the truth is not just objective, it's subjective, but it also involves fellowship where you're relating to God as a friend relates to a friend and you actually know him and you get the sense that, you know, he knows you. And you're sharing with him, you're, you're sharing life and your desires are changing. This is what John is talking about. And notice he says this not only, this fellowship, it not only connects you to God, but it also connects you to others because he says, we say this so that you would have fellowship with the Father of the Son. And he says, indeed, our fellowship, or we say this so that you would have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. John is saying, we want to invite you into the party. We know God, and we're, we're connected to him. We want you to join in, right? So knowing God connects you to other people. Yesterday, I was invited to do a Bible study at Believer's Church down the road, and uh, it was at a transition house. So Believer's, they do a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Some of you may be familiar with that, where folks are, it's, they're uh, getting out of addiction and things that maybe put them in prison. And uh, a transition house is where they go after Celebrate Recovery. So I went to one of these houses to do a Bible study. And as I walked up to the house, you know, all the guys were out front smoking cigarettes. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. You know, smoke was everywhere. And, and I remember walking in saying, I have no- nothing in common with these guys. And I'm looking around, and there's tattoos, you know, and a rough-looking crew. And I, I sat down, and I, I opened my Bible, and I talked about Samson, because I thought a group of guys, what better to talk about than big old buff Samson? And as I started doing the teaching, uh, towards the end, I started talking about Jesus. And I said, Samson is a bad example. In fact, the Bible is filled with bad examples like Samson that show us that God can use even messed up people like that. And I said, there's only one good example. There's only one perfect example in the Bible. And I said, do you know who that is? And they all said, it's Jesus. Amen. It's a Pentecostal gathering. And so they're all, when you speak there, they talk back to you. It's pretty awesome. I wish you guys would do a little more of that, please. <laughs> Amen, brother. Thank you. But at that moment, I felt we're having fellowship. I know Jesus. They know Jesus. We're sharing in something deep here. 
There's something going on. And maybe if you were there and you didn't know Jesus yourself, you could observe what's going on, but it's almost like you're observing from the outside. It's like you're looking through the window at a party. And you see they're all enjoying something and they're all excited together, but you're on the outside. And what John is saying, he's saying, I want to invite you into the party. Don't just be on the outside. I want you to know what it means to have fellowship with God, just like we do. Right, so John is saying knowing God is about experience, but it's also about knowing him. It's about being part of something deep where, where you know that you're communing with God. You're, you're the friend of Jesus Christ. But finally, John goes on and he says, knowing God is also about satisfaction. I love the way he ends this. <clears throat> this is in uh, verse four, chapter one. He says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's the purpose of it all. Here's the reason why John is even writing about knowing God in the first place. He says, I'm writing to you so that our joy and your joy may be complete. And when John says this, he's uh, quoting verbatim from Jesus Christ. So in John chapter uh, 15, uh, Jesus, he's talking about, uh, there's a, it's a famous chapter where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, and he says, I want you to be connected to me the same way a vine is connected to a branch. Do y'all remember that, that chapter? And that's how I want you to be with me, he says, close, connected, intimate. And then Jesus says, here's why I want you to be like that. Here's why I want you to know me like that. And Jesus says this, I have told you these things, this is John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is saying, why do I want you to know me in the first place? Because this is where fullness of joy is found. John is saying the same thing as he's writing his letter. He's saying, listen, this is why I'm writing to you. This is why I want you to have fellowship. This is why I want you to experience God because this is where joy is found. Now, when you hear the word joy, don't think happiness. Think of something much richer than that. It's something more like satisfaction. In my class, as I was studying the experience of these um, uh, people throughout church history. One, one of the groups we studies, studied were the Desert Fathers. And uh, these guys were so weird. They were at the very beginning of church history, like the year 300 AD. And what they did is they, would, they sold everything. Everything that they had, got rid of everything. They'd have one cloak, and they would go out into the desert. And they would live on hardly anything. Some of them lived in cells. One of them lived on the top of a pillar. Imagine that. Why would they do that? Well, this is what they would say. They said, we went out here. We got rid of everything. We got, we, we're living on nothing so that out in that de- desert, we might connect with God. That we might get connected to our thirst for God. Now, maybe they were a little extreme, but I think they were tapping into something important. They were tapping into the idea that true satisfaction has nothing to do with what you own. True satisfaction has nothing to do with how successful you are, although you may believe that. True satisfaction has nothing to do with being in some hot romantic relationship, although that's not bad. True satisfaction is found in intercourse with Christ. Oh, that was such a weird word. It felt weird to say that. 
True satisfaction is found in Jesus. One of the Desert Fathers said this, do not set your heart on that which does not satisfy your heart. Do not set your heart on that which does not satisfy your heart. He's saying, don't you put your heart in anything that was never meant to satisfy it. You anchor your heart in a relationship, in fellowship, in knowing God. Because Augustine said, our hearts are restless and our hearts are empty and they only find their rest when we come to rest in God himself. Do you know God? Not do you have information about him, not do you know the Apostles' Creed, not have you been baptized, not do you attend church, but are you finding satisfaction, your heart's deepest longing met in a relationship with him? Do you know him? Are you being filled with him? Are you finding joy in him? And you might be here, and maybe you're in a very dark place this morning, and you're, you're suffering, and you're sad, and it's, and it's hard for you in life. You know, for many of these desert fathers, their life was hard. And yet it was in the dark places that they found their satisfaction met in Jesus. John says, here's why I'm writing. I want you to know God. I want you to know God. And by that, I mean experience. And I mean fellowship. And I mean satisfaction. Not just God as a concept, but God as a, as a person that I know. You see, this is what the Christian life is about. And, and what I love here is that, you know, John ends, ends the section here and he, and he wraps it up. But the word you see twice is the word manifest. And I love the word manifest because what he's doing there is he's describing uh, the incarnation. He's describing what God has done in Jesus. He's saying, in Jesus, God has made himself manifest. What he means by that is that in Jesus Christ, God has made himself knowable. What does this mean? This means that God wants us to know him. He could have stayed up there in heaven, but he came down into the world and he became flesh and blood that that could be touched and heard and eaten with. And he's almost shouting with a megaphone, I want you to know me. I want to be known by you. And Jesus uh, hangs on the cross. He dies and he rises again from the dead. And he opens up the door. The, The veil was torn. He opens up the door for all of us to know him. And he invites us into the party. And he says, do you know me? And so homework, uh, maybe just spend the rest of this week just meditating on that question. Do I know God? Do I, re- do, do I experience God? Do I have fellowship with God? Do I really know him? Am I cultivating my relationship with him? This is what you need more than anything else. Now, you might be asking the question, well, okay, that's great, but, but how do I know if I'm progressing? How do I know that I know God? Right? How do I know if I'm making progress? Or what about all the distractions in the world? What about the world, the flesh, and the devil out there that's distracting me 24-7? How do I make space for him? What about my sin? What about my past? What about the stupid things I keep on doing? Don't those things get in the way? Those are great questions, and we're going to explore them as we get into the book. So come back next week. And we're going to talk about what it means for us to come to know God and what it means for us to grow in this most vital relationship. So 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the, the prologue of 1 John, this very beginning, which describes for us John's objective. He wants us to know God. He wants us to know fellowship. He wants us to know by experience who you are and, and what you've done for us. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our, our eyes. God, help us, Lord, not only to know uh, in, in our heads the truth, the objective truth of our faith, but I pray that you would open yourself to us, help us to know you. Thank you for Jesus, that in Jesus Christ you lowered yourself, you became knowable, and I pray, God, that we would take you up on the wonderful invitation that all of us could know you. Bless us, we pray, as we study First John. We pray this in Jesus' name.